Hey, welcome to The Look Back, my pandemic podcast, or hopefully post-pandemic podcast, broadcasting here from the basement of Newman Media Studios. My name is Keith Newman, and I'm the host of The Look Back. And this is a place where we have some fun conversations with old friends, a few newsmakers, and some rule breakers, all in the name of sharing insights and experiences, along with a little bit of levity and fun. I hope you enjoy the conversation. And if you're so inclined or perhaps even open to some bribery, you'll share this podcast with some friends who might also enjoy it. Let's go on to the show. Hey, Ben Narison from Tenacious VC. Welcome to the podcast. It's called The Look Back. How are you? There we go. Wow. I got this is a great room. It's a look, check this out. It's like a, it, yeah. That makes for really good acoustics. Oh, it does. Yeah. I have a friend who has a room like that. He it also doubles that as as a uh, a cigar hut. <laughs> I can't do that. My wife would be very unhappy. So my cigars have to be smoked outside. But I do have quite a few humidors in here, at least. Okay. Three. <laughs> That's close. Thanks for sharing some time with us. I know you're a busy man. Um, you've got this awesome ex- fund. And and listen, this is called the look back. So we do take a little historical step. Um, backwards and, and sort of explore how you got to Tenacious and where you see um, those big steps in your path and how you got there. But it's so it's so tempting to jump into today and how we how we sort of assess where we are right now. You know, this is um, you've got the backdrop of a of a of a recession coming, right? Or maybe we're in one. A complete Wall Street reset on valuations and what's going on with public companies which has obviously uh, impacted private company valuations. We've got what's going on with the, oh shit, what's happening in Russia, Ukraine, China, and COVID. And then of course, Elon and Twitter, which is a whole other world. <laughs> a lot of stuff going on in the world, that's for sure. But live in interesting times. No one been can like that for that. a while. How do you, how do you like where you sit and, um, and what's going on right now? Well, I'm, I'm pretty happy. I have dry powder. In a tumultuous time, when valuations have finally started to come down, even at the very early stage, I do seed primarily, and that was the last category to to feel the impact on valuations. But you know, we've been doing this now for 17 months. We've funded 15 companies, and wow, awesome portfolio. I'm really happy. I mean these these guys and gals are just performing. I mean they're just you know getting it done. And you know, one of the things I learned as an entrepreneur to your point on the look back and sort of where I came from on this, you know, I was an entrepreneur for 25 years. Then I became a, a seed investor, an institutional venture fund uh, that I sort of helped create, which was the, for about eight years, uh, starting in 2007. Then I became a traditional VC for about seven years. And then I spun out of NEA to start Tenacity. So Tenacity Venture Capital is seed and pre-seed. Uh, we raised about 60 million. We've deployed a little over half of it. And so we've still got plenty of dry powder. But, you know, it's... Uh, it's historically, I've been investing for about 15 years, right? So I said, as I started out, it was around 2007. 2008, 9, and 10 is probably my single best vintage ever. That was about a 14x realized fund for me, if you think of those three years as a fund. Um, I don't think this will be quite as good in terms of the correction and valuations at the very, very early stage, but we're definitely seeing more, I would argue, rationally priced deals. And your entry price really does matter. When you're in the multiples game, because if you're paying five and you exit for a billion, that's a lot bigger multiple than if you paid 10 or if you paid 20 or if you played 50. So 
you know, I, I like the fact that we have the dry powder. Um, I like the fact that we're seeing very high quality opportunities. And, you know, it's a, it's a is, wonderful there life. Is, there is some, there is some uh, discussion out there that, hey, if you're out there now raising money and trying to do a startup, you're a dog. You're like, you're ready to, like, you're a strong player if you can make it through these times and come out the other end. Yeah, cockroach style, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, you know, there's an old saying that um, iron can't become steel until it goes through fire. Yeah. And difficult times make for really strong companies and people. I mean, you have yeah. to survive, but uh, there's also, you know, the old saying that that which does not kill you makes you stronger Yeah. or leaves you permanently scarred. <laughs> so, you know, you've got to survive, but when you do survive, you come out the other side much better. So I think that it is interesting. I've been talking to my entrepreneurs about fundraising realities. We've out of the 15 portfolio companies, two have already raised series A, one just signed a term sheet for series A, and a third is, is deep in process. And then three others have raised uh, notes at material upticks from where we were. So, you know, we're having very good results across the portfolio in terms of their ability to raise money. Now, I know a lot of VCs, I know over 300 VCs, and I'm very picky about who I introduce to whom. Right. So, all three, the two Series A's that have closed and the one Series A that was just signed are all with people we introduced those entrepreneurs to. Now, one of the things that's novel about our fund is we are a one and done fund. So, you know, most people put in a million and reserve two million. So they put in a third and they reserve two thirds. Pro rata. put in three thirds yeah. and reserve no thirds. <laughs> so we put it all in at the beginning. And right. so we are always looking for now at the same time, I'm super picky about, as I said, who I introduced to whom um, I'm not introducing a company if they're not ready to raise, but I'm not able to be their next round. So I need to continue to maintain those friendships and relationships with people that can be. And so that has generally been beneficial because people know that I am a picky and, and be, you know, not the follow on funder. Uh, you're picky, but uh, um I think selective is yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I guess the, the, the thought that, that begs deeper exploration is your criteria, right? Your so-called thesis. And I don't think you're a thesis investor from the standpoint of verticals, but I mean, judging from your success, you've done what Zenefits, Lending Club, Cabbage, just a couple, right? An NEA, the venerable NEA, we must, uh, we must tip our cap. Still wearing the jacket because I, I was know. Today. I better. Well, <laughs> no, I'm guessing the tenacity that will be a vest of some sort. Well, I, I, yeah, I'm not a big believer in spending money on swag. I yeah. will eventually make a patch yeah. that says tenacity, and then I yeah. can sew it right there. <laughs> but I do love NEA. I mean, it's a great firm, and I, you know, yeah. I would wear this jacket if I wasn't there, which oh. I'm not. Um, they're an LP, but that's the extent of it. So, right. you know, I've always said it took me a while. People would always ask, like, "What are you looking for?" And it took me yeah. a really long time to come up with an answer. But in the end, my answer is simple. I need five things to make an investment. Okay. People, 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 a great idea and a huge market. I have learned the hard way that funding brilliant people with bad ideas doesn't work well most of the time. I'm not interested in pivots. You know, funding somebody hoping that they'll stumble into something better, yeah. not my game. Yep. I also need things to be truly enormous at the end. You know, you're going, you can only do so many of these. I'm not taking board seats, but I'm trying to be very available and helpful to my entrepreneurs and they take me up on it. So, you know, I can only make so many international trips to help so many founders. So you got to pick well. 
you can't bust your butt to get to the $100 million outcome. That's just not the game. I've done well on my own and I want to continue to do well, but I enjoy what I do. And, you know, I just want to make sure I'm focusing on the, look, here's the, here's the realistic way of thinking about my business. We saw 1,845 pitches in Q3 of this year. And we funded zero companies the entire quarter. Wow. We're about to close on a company now in fourth quarter, but we will see 5,000 or more pitches a year. It's a new reality, by the way. Uh, I used to see 1,000. Now it's just amazing how many more I can see. Um, but I'll only fund 10 to 15 of them. So it's not like when I say people, 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 I'm talking even the top 1%. I'm talking the top two to three BIPs of entrepreneurs across the portfolio of people that we get access to. And obviously, I get better quality deal flow from my favorite places, which would be my own founders and my friends that are VCs that are, you know, it's too early for. It's great to be able to do a seed for a company that a Series A firm likes that wants to see again later. What's the normal so, check size, by the way, Ben? What's the normal check size? One to three. So um, I, I'd rather talk more about people, people, people. You're three out of your five. Um, is that to identify different characteristics uh, or just a general uh, fun way to look at that perspective or that ratio? Or are you saying, I want to see a good CEO, CTO? And Oh, no, you know, no, it's the first. Yeah. So another yeah, yeah. thing I've learned to say, again, that's very simple, mm. is I'm looking for entrepreneurs that make me say, wow. You know, sometimes the wow is just the human being. Usually the wow is the combination of the human being and the opportunity they've identified. Now, in fairness, the fund is called Tenacity Venture Capital because that to me, tenacity is the only secret to entrepreneurial success. Brilliance is assumed or I wouldn't have funded you. A great idea is assumed or I wouldn't have funded you. And a big market's assumed or I wouldn't have funded you. The difference between brilliant people with great ideas and huge markets that win versus those that lose often boils down to how hard they're willing to fight in very difficult times. You know, the pithy saying in uh, venture is, I need people that can run through walls, right? So I've been an entrepreneur for 25 years. There is no harder job unless you're a first responder and you're putting your life at risk. If you have a job that involves an office and a desk, the hardest job you can have is to be an entrepreneur. You are waking up every day to get hit in the face with a virtual sledgehammer. You're chewing on glass. And if you can't push through that, a lot of people sort of read about entrepreneurship. Like, I think the worst thing you can do if you're thinking about being an entrepreneur is read TechCrunch. You know, you should read the horror show stories about the businesses that didn't work. Like thinking it's easy, thinking it's all great, high valuation, blah, you know, like, no. It is nonstop hard. Yeah. And so when you put somebody into a world of nonstop hard, if they don't have the will, the grit to fight through that, they're going to give up. And I identify that. It's very painful. So here we are at the uh, at the combines, the VC combines. <laughs> and you're looking at, okay, I got this great guy, this great gal, this great, you know interesting founder with a with a different background and this is a killer idea big market they talk a great game how do you assess the really are they going to be able to run through that wall are they going to yeah. chew and spit it out it's very 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 hard it's probably one of the hardest things and yeah. i'd argue all you can really do is get as much time as possible with that person you know i used to say it would be i would love it if i could take every founder i'm considering funding to do a single crossfit workout with me 
Um, it doesn't matter how much weight they put on the bar, no matter what, it's going to be hard, but it does matter that they finish. I remember I was doing a workout and you know, the way CrossFit works is they either give you a, an exercise you have to do and you figure out how long it takes you to do it, or they give you an amount of time and they, you figure out how many oh, yeah. times you can do it. Right. Oh, yeah. Well, I was doing this, let's say you had to do five sets of 20 pull-ups and 40 push-ups and 30 squats, and then do it again. And you had to do that 10 times. And I'm doing my workout, and, but it involved a weight. You know, you had to pick up a bar. And this kid finally, like halfway through, he just sits down. My coach is like, what are you doing? He's like, I got to stop. He's like, just take weight off the bar. He's like, no, no, I can't go anymore. I'm like, oh my God, I hope that guy doesn't work for any of my companies. <laughs> like, dude, you can use a plastic pipe if you have to. Yeah. But finish, yeah. not finishing isn't an option. So, but how do you find that? I mean, you look for clues. You spend as much time with them as you can. You have lots of questions, lots of, you listen to stories. It's usually something in their background. Like I funded a guy that started a company, which is now called Current Foods. And they make a plant-based tuna that, in my view, as a guy that actually was a food and wine writer for 10 years and a restaurant critic for eight years, <laughs> it's as good as the real thing. Yeah. For sushi prep. Well, how do I figure? Okay, so I'm talking about his background. You know, he's a guy that was a sort of animal rights activist style person. And he was in school in Texas. And he realized that, you know, trying to create advocacy wasn't going to do anything. He needed a commercial way to have impact. And that's where he came out with the idea for this company. And we were talking about, he said, you know, it was really hard, but I once got the University of Texas in Austin to offer a vegan menu. And I was like, wow, that had to be hard, man. I've been to Austin. I don't want to see any vegetables. It's like it's the barbecue capital of the world, right? <laughs> yeah, it's the best barbecue. I mean, it's just meat, 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 meat. If you can get the world's meat eating capital to put a vegan menu out there, I believe you have the grit, what it takes to get there. So how's so, he doing? He's doing pretty well. Yeah, yeah, the food is awesome. They've now come with a second product, which is a, a smoked salmon. Um, sometimes, you know, they had a hard time in a prior business, but they, you know, grunted through and, you know, I had a company out of LA called Manufactured where the company he had last didn't get there, but two of his investors backed him again. And I talked to him like, man, this guy just fought the good fight. You know, you just got to dig and dig and look for clues. You're never going to get an answer. And by the way, if anybody's ever seen me on a podcast or anything else, television, you know, I've done a bunch of this, you know, they're going to find ways to tell me how tenacious they are. Sometimes it's so transparent. They actually use the words like, hey, you know, I learned that I love your fun because I'm a really tenacious individual. <laughs> Good to know. All right. Now show me some data. Like, show me the evidence. Like, how do you find that evidence? It's probably just stories. You know, I like the fact you point to it, just stories. And you mentioned that because um, if, if you dig into somebody's past, I mean, it becomes genetic at some point. These people just won't lose. Yeah. Well, I sort of, you know, I, I steal so many, Tim uh, Dimel from CrossFit Palo Alto is my CrossFit coach. And I steal so many of his quotes. And one of them is like, how you do anything is how you do everything. Yeah. And so if you gave up on your, I don't know, Girl Scout retreat, then you're probably going to give up on your whatever. Yeah. So it's, it's hard, but, and I'm not always going to be right. It's the nature of it. About, you know, in the 15 years I've been doing this, about a third of my companies lose me money. It's lower than the average for venture, by the way. I understand that the venture average is about 40%. So I'm slightly surprised and slightly proud because I'm backing people that are as early as two guys in a room with PowerPoint slides. Well, but, I also believe, listen, I have a limited uh, background working directly with venture, um, but I've worked, I've been, you know, raising money myself over a number of years. 
And the guys that were the former entrepreneurs that are now in the chair, I think have a better batting average just in general than the bankers. I, it used to be very hard for me to believe somebody that hadn't been an entrepreneur first could ever be an effective venture capitalist. But I've come to learn that they actually can. I'm not saying you're not right. Yeah. Um, you know, like I think David Z did a great job. He was done for this. So many of them. But like Scott Sandell, he was an operator. He worked at Microsoft, but he was never an entrepreneur. But he is by far one of the best investors in the world. Mm. I mean, his returns are phenomenal. His interactions with his entrepreneurs are great. I've learned so much from him. He's he's just a great, great investor. And there are other examples of that. I mean, I guess I don't really know all of his background, but I think Bill Gurley was a banker analyst or something, and he's done a great job. So there are, but then you have people like uh, Josh Koppelman at first round, who's obviously a founder, Mike Maples at Floodgate, who was obviously a founder. It seems a bit like the founder VC skews much more towards the seed category. Okay. I don't see way to look as it. much of it. Series yeah. A's, B's. And C's. At, mez at mezzanine stages, your, your banker might be more valuable at some point. Yeah. Too. Well, I mean, the way I think about that is if you think about the axes of um, investing, if you think about uh, stage, the earlier you go, so every type of investment is a blend, you know, with two axes of art and science. The earlier stage you go, the more art, and the later stage you go, the more science. You have no right as a Series G pre-IPO investor to sort of just gut it out. You know, your gut matters, but you got a lot of data you need to do a lot of analysis. You need to make a very logical, well-informed decision. But you have just as little right as a seed investor with two guys in with PowerPoint to demand deep data and science on something that doesn't exist yet. You can research the people. You can research the market. You can think about the opportunity. You can talk. You, can, you don't not do diligence. That is not my point. But it is mainly art and mainly gut around something that doesn't exist yet that you hope when exists can become truly enormous. I like your formula, Ben. Let's go back a little bit then to that early career and your formative uh, entrepreneurial days that helped shape your thinking and your and your strategies here at uh, Tenacious. So um, what were some of those moments where you really felt the growth in your own in your own development and your own success? Well, I mean, I've been an entrepreneur since I was 12. So I spent 25 years as an entrepreneur. I really never had. Were oh, you selling magazines, newspapers? Uh, uh, pretty uh, close. So I had a, uh, a comic book dealership. Okay. I would go, I would buy a table at Comic-Con and I would set up and I would buy and sell and trade. Wow. And, you know, my dad loaned me $50 and I came home with $1,500 in a paper bag. I didn't think about where to put the money. So I used my actual lunch bag. <laughs> um but, you know, that I fell in love with entrepreneurship right off the bat, and that's all I ever did. I mean, I'm a very, I wouldn't say I'm shallow, but I'm very narrow. I really have no interests outside of entrepreneurship in my family. When I was young, say age 12 to marriage, my interests were entrepreneurship and dating. And then after I was married, my interests were entrepreneurship and my family. That's it. I don't care about any sport. You know, I don't have hobbies. Um, my only hobby is being cheap. <laughs> like I have, I enjoy being cheap. I, I was just with an entrepreneur the other yesterday, and he's like, I, you know, for a long time I was like, is he actually insane? I mean, 
you know, he's doing these weird things to save money. And he says, now I realize it's just your hobby. I'm like, yeah, no, it's a lot of fun. Like I bought a pallet of eBay random return, sorry, Amazon returns and then resold them online. That was because really I was doing diligence on a possible investment, but I also wanted to do it because it's sort of fun and I got a good deal. You know, one of my, my, I've more than once been told I'm the cheapest rich person people know. Rich is a relative term. I don't know if I'm rich. I've done well, but you know, (laughs) my point is this is it for me. Yeah. Like I can quote, it's funny. We were talking to uh, my partner, Taylor Oliver is really into sports. I am not, I don't know anything about any sports. I did beat Jerry Rice in a push-up race, but I don't, I couldn't tell you anything about Jerry Rice, except someone told me he's the goat. I was like, okay. Yeah. Um, well, anyway, we, but a, but a startup that was venture back came up and I said, Oh, what's the deal? It was getting sold. How much? Well, it's doing hundred million in revenue. They're being sold for 200 million. I obviously can't tell you the name of the startup. And I was like, oh, that's not great. Wasn't that company valued at over a billion dollars? I thought the last deal they did six <laughs> years ago was at 1.2 billion. He's like, yeah, 1.24. And I was like, bang. I'm like, I can do venture stats better than you can do football stats. <laughs> but that is my only like entrepreneurship yeah. is it. You want There's to keep no talking about entrepreneurship for 10 hours? No problem. You want to talk about sports? I'm leaving immediately. What about a VC fantasy league? Can we do that? It's uh, actually an interesting concept. You know, I'd love to be able to bet on individual VCs because it's so much more important. To, like the individual VCs are who who drive yeah. turns. I mean, you know, like, yeah, that would be, oh, I could make bank. You ever have the thought, like I meet people, like I know a few of the VC firms that invest off of college campuses and talk to really young guys. So I'm like, I want to invest in this kid. I don't know what he's going to do, but I want to put like a hundred grand into this kid. Yeah. I mean, it's not an unreasonable thing to do because- you're just, you're shifting. So all venture is probably probability weighted risk versus reward. Yeah. Right. So if I go in at a pre-seed and I can, I'm going to try to buy 20% of the company and then maybe it'll cost a million bucks or 2 million bucks. Yeah. If I go in at seed, I'm going to try to buy 10% of the company and that'll once again, cost a million or 2 million or maybe $3 million. If I'm going smart kid on campus, I'm going to buy 20% of that for a hundred grand. Yeah. So I can do 10 of those for the cost of doing, right, one pre-seed. Well, I could double my failure rate and still come out really, really well. So it's sort of, you know, you the old model, venture is not about the 10x. That's a myth. But the old simplistic way of thinking about venture is that three fail, you know, or this is the way they used to say, you know, like three fail, six do okay, one makes back the entire fund with a 10x return. Well, the reality is venture done exceptionally well is power law, and they want to have a shot at 100 to 1,000x on that one. But the general construct holds true. Yeah, You know, you make up for the ones that don't make it or make little by getting a lot. So if you fund 10 brilliant people out of college and one of them does exceptionally well, that all works out. The problem is a lot of people give themselves permission to say, well, if it's Facebook, it just doesn't matter what we pay. Well, it usually isn't Facebook. So, you know, you got to be careful. Have a goal, though, when you invest in a company or do you just say, you know, I'm putting my lot in here and I'm going to push hard and we're going to try to get the maximum return? Or do you say, I want to have I want to see this thing get to X? I'd say both are true. Um, I'd like I need to believe there's a 40 to 100 X outcome or better in any investment I make. But once we're in, obviously, you just want the best possible outcome. You know, I've had half a dozen companies in the sort of 60x, 58x, 58x, 40x, <laughs> maybe a little over 100x. Yeah. Still waiting for the 1000x. Yeah. 
I had one that was pretty damn close to a thousand X, but I didn't get any liquidity on it. So whatever, but I need to, but, but then again, I don't sit down and, you know, in a traditional venture firm with a associates and principals and a back office, you actually sit down and as part of your write-up, write up what you think the different types of outcomes could be. Probability, weight them. 10% of the time we're going to lose all our money. 20% of the time it's flat. 30% of the time, blah, 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 right? Yeah. And you average all that out and you tell us what you think the IRR will be. I don't go through that exercise. It's funny, when I was raising money, one of the LPs said, well, why don't you send me a few of your investment memos so I can see how that works? And I was like, you get that I'm a solo GP, right? I do not write investment memos for myself to read. You know, it's like, I spend a lot of time on this. I probably make a lot of notes, but unless you want to look at just a core dump of typo written notepad notes, like, no, I, I, it'll take me a month to make a decision. But once I make the decision, the decision is made. I don't, at most, what I do occasionally do is pull out this notebook that I have. Um, yeah. It's sitting right here. And I write myself a note on why I made the decision that I made and what I think it might look like. Yeah. You no, know? like a paragraph of narrative, a page of narrative. Yes. But, <laughs> you know, it's not, so I'm not saying to myself, well, I'm in it 10, but I am thinking to myself, what does this look like at Terminus? And I want that to be in that 40 to 100x range when things work. What I often say to entrepreneurs is, look, I need to believe there's a public company at the end of the rainbow if everything goes right. And I'd like to believe that public company can be valued at $5 billion or more. I am not looking for some 200, 300, $400 million tuck into Salesforce, even though I only paid 20. That's not my game. You know, life's too short. So I took my company public. I've had four or five public companies across the portfolio I've invested in so far. Obviously, I'm not getting 100% conversion. You know, I told you I invested 115 companies in 15 years, I think. Well, if I've got five of them that are public, clearly 110 of them aren't. I've had, you know, billions of dollars worth of acquisitions too, but I still need to believe that's a possibility. Yeah. If I don't see that as a possibility, I'm not a fit. And one of the things I tell entrepreneurs all the time is you need to match up your own needs, right? Like you need to know what you need to be considered a success in your mind, because once you get there, that's when you will be comfortable and want to exit, right? And so you don't want to be in a situation where you've got a bid to buy your company for $300 million that you own half of and your VCs veto you on it because it's not going to hit their numbers and make them what they need. Ben, really interesting. I, I want to jump in because I know we've been talking mostly on the front end, like what do I invest in? What don't I? What I'll pass on? But you're also known for really coaching up that early stage entrepreneur, giving them good counsel. And they refer to you, they, 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 uh, they rely on you for some of that. What's, what's the, um, is there some kind of not vote, not to be vogue, cause this is really trendy. This is, this is business. This is what really moves the needle, but what are you seeing more today? That's, you know, really um, an area where founders are not seeing it and you're helping them fill that void. Make sense. Um, yes, I'm going to actually answer multiple questions you didn't ask exactly, but that all sort of coalesce almost into a Venn diagram that gives me your question. Um, one, I will tell you my favorite reference I've ever gotten when I was at, I probably was at NEA at the time and I was uh, pitching to be the investor in some exciting company and I would have had to take a board seat and they wanted my references and I introduced everybody I'd been on the board with. And uh, one of the people that gave me a reference who I'm on the board of told me what his reference was. He said, Ben is our moral compass. 
And I loved that. I have a very, very high moral bar. Or I believe I did. Look, to me, it's trust above all else. If I have even the slightest belief, you're not being straight with me, I'm not, I'm not touching you. <laughs> so that's actually cost me at least one multi-billion dollar business. We can talk through that story if you want. So, but then what I would, that's part of the equation. The next thing I'll say is, I think what we're seeing right now, um, FTX is the most egregious example of it, is the end result of a slow growing cancer that is the conflation of a small number of powerful accelerators and influential angel and seed-ish super high net worth ex-entrepreneur investors who coach their entrepreneurs to basically believe that the investor-entrepreneur relationship is an adversarial one. And that as one person very crassly put it, so be prepared, you should treat your investors like mushrooms, keep them in the dark and feed them shit. And that is a very unhealthy model and has been for a very long time, unfortunately. I used to talk to one of my friends at another venture firm about this. He's like, yeah, the problem is it's all the self-inflicted wounds that come out to haunt them years later. So examples of that would be, you know, everybody believing that they deserve Zuckerberg status. They need 20x voting shares. They need total control of the board. They need no governance. It's like, my job is not to tell you what to do. I don't take board seats. My job is, however, I believe, to tell you stories that help you think better. You do not have to accept my vision of the world. But if I've had a direct experience that's highly relevant to what you're doing, why would you not want to factor that into your thinking and decide if it's relevant to you? And so sometimes it takes way too long. I, I'll give you an example of this. This entrepreneur didn't even go through the, the accelerator I'm thinking of or incubator, whatever they call themselves. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. something like nine months into our relationship after I had funded them, and it was a really hard funding, lots of battles around the legal docs and all kinds of stuff and things that ended up going horribly wrong later. The business didn't make it. But he said to me once, you know, when you give me advice, you're usually right. And I was like, and? Like, are you surprised? Like, I'm only giving you advice when I've lived it. And what I realized is it had taken him that long to learn to trust me. Yeah. I just assumed he trusted me. Look, I'm not, you know, you're not putting your life in my hands. I'm just giving you counsel based on what I have lived. I will yeah. often say to my entrepreneurs, there's three sources of advice. There's experience. That's highly valuable. It could change with time, admittedly, but it's very valuable because it was hard one. The next is opinion. That's questionable. you got to really drill into that because now you're just having an academic and philosophical debate. And then there's hearsay, and that is enormously dangerous. Somebody telling you a story so they can look smart because they overheard something or believed it or read it or, you know, whatever, read it on Reddit. Yep. <laughs> like, you know, if I lived it, if I put, if I walked on burning coals and ended up in the hospital with third degree burns, and you tell me you want to walk on burning coals and you don't want to hear that story, I probably made a mistake when I funded you. Yeah. But there's so much like, you know, give them the hand. Like anyway, so I look at FTX as just an extreme example of that. And I try really hard to encourage my entrepreneurs. Probably the number one thing I focus on with them is usually fundraising and who to pick. It's not just the fund, it's the partner. Somebody that you can trust and respect that you believe can add value. Somebody that probably looks nothing like you, that has totally different experiences, 
You don't need you. If you want you, buy a tape recorder and a mirror and be done with it, right? Let's not duplicate ourselves. I don't need that. Right. You know, I have a young guy that works with me. He's not me. I know nothing about any sport. He knows everything about every sport. Yeah. Right. Like I'm not that that's necessarily relevant. We haven't made any sports investments yet, but he could convince me if he said to me, this is the biggest thing that's ever happened in sports. I'd say, well, I mean, you know what you're talking about. So I guess yeah, we but you, get to look, you get to look at the metrics and be very objective and assess whether it's a good investment or not. Well, I can then at our stage, I'd look at the people and try to understand and think about how big it can be. But if he said, you know, this is it, you know, all young people are doing X. Like I do play pickleball. All right. So am I going to invest in a pickleball company? No. But the trend of pickleball is fascinating and the growth is crazy. So maybe there was a venture opportunity in pickleball if you were early enough. Who knows? Maybe somebody figured that out. And somebody who can keep coach me on how to hit those different slices with the rackets and all. Yeah, it's dinkers. Like it's all the dinkers, right? Come on. You got to know how to slice and dice. Ben, it's fun chatting. I want to get to one or two more questions and let you go. I know you got real work to do. So give me a sense of looking back as I like to call my podcast. What was that? What was that developmental, you know, moment or two where you stepped into a role or you had a big decision to make buy, sell, uh, build, cut, you know, kill, shoot. <laughs> yeah. um, does anything jump to mind? Well, there are a lot of them, unfortunately. Yeah. I and mean, that's the nature of you live enough lives uh, as an <laughs> entrepreneur. Um, you know, I started a company in 93. It was one of the first web businesses, commercial web businesses in the world. I took that public in 99. Which one was that? Just to remind, remind me again. Called fashionmall.com. Oh, yeah. And I never raised venture. So I had control of that company. I was able to take it private later, which was a way to get all my shareholders paid the same way on a per share basis. Well, when the world, when the bubble burst, we decided we would wait. Let's say the bubble burst in Q1 of whatever, 2001. I said, let's trim team, but let's stick it out till Q4. That's our most important quarter and see if we find price recovery. So we had supposedly, I've been told, invented cost per click in 94. And we were getting paid 85 cents, sometimes a dollar a click. And all of a sudden, we were begging for 20 cents. You can't run a business on that. And not at the volumes we were doing. And I said, hey, because we're not getting new customers. Excuse me, we're just, you know, we're in a category. So I said, let's wait till Q4. So we trimmed the company. And when Q4 came around, it was obvious we weren't seeing price recovery. It was obvious this wasn't a short-term thing. And we effectively riffed everybody but a tiny slice of the executive team and moved into sale or harvest mode. But, you know, I was optimistic in a way that probably was unrealistic. I learned from that and have, and I was hopeful that none of the experiences I had on the way down would be useful to me, but they have been, unfortunately, because we've had 2008, we've had COVID, you know, we've had a correction right now. You know, it, it, when times are difficult, you need to cut fast and you need to cut deeper than you think you do, because it's much more disturbing to the people when you take a 20% headcount reduction and then 30 days later, you do another 20. Everybody's worried for their jobs forever. You make the cut. If you think it's 30%, maybe you go 40. And you tell people with confidence, we have the team. We need to go forward. Here's how we're going to do it. Jeff Immelt, who's on my uh, LPAC, used to run GE during the COVID era, said to a group of us once, in crisis, a CEO's job is not to provide long-term certainty, but it is to provide short-term certainty. And I like that quote a lot. It's like, 
You cannot control the future, but you can control this week. So that was certainly one. There have been many others. I mean, I learned that, you know, I'm a little obsessive. I do an enormous, I've been told I do seed with the diligence of a series A. Uh, Greg Duffy, who built Dropcam, which was a very successful investment for me and a great company for him. And, you know, Google bought it and became Nest. We were having lunch afterwards. And I was like, why did I get, I don't understand. Like my check here was smaller than I usually do. Why was that? Why did you, why didn't you give me more? He's like, Ben. Do you not remember you took 30 days to make a decision by the time you decided all the, all the stock was gone? I was like, oh, yeah, that's true. Okay. So, you know, but that doesn't change anything. I can't, I'm, I was telling uh, somebody over lunch that it's raising a new fund. They were asking me for advice. I said, well, I'll tell you one thing that I've told Taylor over and over again, the quicker somebody commits, the less likely you're going to get that money. Mm. You know, like I had an entrepreneur once, he was all excited. He said, Oh, you know, I got these people. They want to they want to pile into the round. I'm like, they want to pile into the round because it's being led by, you know, NEA or whomever. He said, Oh, no, no, they really like what we're doing. I'm like, okay, tell me about when did you meet him? Oh, I, I didn't really meet him. We had a call. Well, when? Well, yesterday. <laughs> oh, how, how'd that go? He said, Well, we talked about half an hour and then he committed. I'm like, so you think he is fully committed to your business idea because he spent half an hour with you on the phone not because a tier one Silicon Valley venture firm is in it and he wants to ride their coattails. And he's like, oh, that is a good point. Well, you so, saying they you know, that, that, you're saying they won't come in? Say again? You're saying they won't come in in that, in that scenario? Oh, in that case, it's the opposite. In that case, I'm telling the entrepreneur. Yeah. You know, like just this person doesn't care. Yeah. <laughs> they haven't done any work. They haven't done any diligence. They got no skin in the game. No, but in an L, in the, so I did in fact mix two metaphors there. When you're raising money as a GP, and an LP says, particularly for a large number, yeah. I like it. I'm in for five. Yeah. Like, yeah, I, the one or two or three times I've seen that happen, it was zero <laughs> or one. Like, it's just, you can't, you know, it's like, in fact, we, one of my, um, we were talking about this yesterday. Taylor had somebody that I have no idea who this person is, but he wants to put like a, a big check in for the next fund. We're not raising our next fund yet. And I was like, you know, that's just A, the check is too big. B, you know, you, you had one meeting and he wants to put in that much money. It's crazy. It's, it doesn't work. What you need to say is thank you so much for your interest. We need to make sure you're right for us and you need to make sure we're right for you. And that's going to take some time. So let's go, through, let's talk through this stuff in detail. I don't want to have people learning on my back what yeah. it's like to be in venture. I don't know. Maybe this guy has 12 venture investments and he thinks my track record is so awesome. It is pretty damn awesome, I will say, um, that he should throw this money in there. And he wouldn't be wrong, but yeah. I would be really uncomfortable with somebody that decided to put $25 million into a fund with a single conversation. And don't you find that down the road, these are the guys that are asking you for weird things and failing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, I just went through some very painful stuff on this exact thing where <laughs> it actually, it's funny, you brought it up. I yeah. won't say the name. I won't even say the numbers, but. Too bad. Guy comes up with, well, I guess I can say the numbers. You were raising a $50 million fund and ended up being 60. Comes up. You know, talks to my partner, partner comes up. Oh, he's so excited. He wants to do 15 million. I was like, no. He's like, well, what do you mean? No. Like we cannot have one guy invest $15 million in a $50 million fund. That's crazy. 10% at most. Tell him five. Puts in two. Puts in one. And then somehow it ends up being two. I was like, whatever. And then more recently put, um, ah, I want to relive it. It was just a nightmare pain in the ass. I'll say that. So like, I, I do not want to have to educate people that either perceive themselves to be sophisticated investors, but are not, or just don't know venture. Like when I was pitching uh, tenacity, particularly to high net worth folks and entrepreneurs that I know, I said, look, the one the, you need to know a couple of things here. I can show you my track record. I've been doing this for 15 years and I'm sure that will help. But 
This is risk capital, okay? No matter how well I have done for the last 15 years, there's no guarantee I'll do as well for the next 15. So this is always risk capital. The other side of big upside is I lose all my money. I lose all my money in about a third of the deals. So maybe that number gets bigger and we lose a lot more. That's a risk. You cannot give me any money that is not risk capital you can afford to lose. Secondly, it's a 10-year fund with two automatic one-year extensions. Do not expect money back for 10 years. There's no right of redemption. There's no, oh, I want to trade in my shares. This is illiquid. Once your money goes to an entrepreneur, it's not coming back. Once you commit it to me, it's not coming back. Okay. So it's illiquid. It's risk. We might see earlier, but I see yeah. plenty of seven to 10 year horizons, some 10 to 12. Actually, horizons are getting later now, longer now. Yeah. It's almost like biotech season for all. Yeah. Like I used to tell my entrepreneurs, it's a seven to 10 year journey. Now I'm like, it's probably more like 10 to 12 to 14. Yeah. I had an exit that took 14 years. Yeah. It's I mean, like, Amazingly, 14x. <laughs> All right, man. Um, favorite, favorite advice, favorite um, advice to that early stage, that seed entrepreneur, besides what we've already covered, which includes obviously be ready to chew glass and you know, spit fire and all that good stuff. Well, I mean, make sure you're getting into it for the right reasons. Yeah. Um, you know, you need to you need to decide what in your heart of hearts you need to be, and you need to match your fundraising to those people that want the same thing for you. Great. Um, also, great ideas come to you. You don't come to them. You can spend all the time you want doing research. Yeah. You can you can do whatever it takes to be creative. Like I like to, I get, I have all kinds of great thoughts when I drive. Maybe somebody else likes yoga. Maybe somebody else likes a mountain hike. Maybe somebody else likes to swim in the ocean. I love to swim in the ocean. But at the end of the day, the best ideas come to you and they grab you by the throat and they don't let go. So if you made a list of 100 ideas and carved them down to 10 and then chose the best of those, and it's not grabbing you by the throat, I would argue you don't have the idea you need and wait till you do. Because you got to wake up every day thinking about it and dealing with it and fighting for yeah, it. Absolutely. You know, there's a, the pithy yeah. old sayings are usually true. If you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. I've been an entrepreneur my entire life. I am an unemployable human. I was barely employable as an investor and venture capitalist because my job was to work with other entrepreneurs that reminded me of me. But, you know, like none of that's ever been work. I love it. I mean, look, I've done well financially. I'm not doing this as a charitable effort. I expect to be very well compensated, but I also really enjoy doing it. I love working with entrepreneurs. I love helping. I'm living vicariously through my founders because I'm not ready to go back to an 18 hour day, you know, six to seven days a week. That is not where I am. I'm a 57 year old man with a wonderful wife and great kids. And, you know, yeah, I don't have hobbies, but I'd rather put those hours <laughs> into helping other entrepreneurs get stuff done and thinking. And, you know, it's just, it's a lot of fun. Okay. So I'm not pitching you on any ideas, Ben, but when you close the next fund or the, there's a big IPO, I want you to throw a party. I know it's going to cost a little bit. But I want Tenacious D as the band. I don't know who that is, but oh, that's Jack. I know as little about music as I do about sports. That's Jack Black, and uh, it's so he has that funny. Remember School of Rock? And come on. Oh, okay, sure. I did. That was a that was actually a Broadway show, also. Yeah, yeah. So you oh, got. I saw that somebody took us to it for something random. It was entertaining. Yeah. Yeah. No, it goes sports. No knowledge of anything. The only reason I was able to win a push-up race with Jerry Rice was I had no clue who he was, and so it you know, and then. Uh, music and then i don't know okay no more music references 
Good luck on the crab. Uh, that's not fishing, is it? What do we call that? Would you crabbing or? I don't know. I guess it's crabbing. You know, my 4.30 a.m. departure. That's going to be wild. Go out okay. there and get some dungeon nest. I'll tell you, my, I'm leaving for London for a board meeting the next day, but at least I'll bring home a bunch of crabs and my wife will be getting home. We'll have some crab. That'll be lovely, right? Just yeah. as lovely. Thanks for joining me on this chat. I've really enjoyed chatting with you. Um, you know, when you get back, maybe you and Ren can put on the uh, the soccer match. It should be a good match. U.S. plays uh, Denmark. I think you missed up. a lot of my conversation already. <laughs> you can you can have a little crab. And... Well, you know, he can put on the soccer match, and I can immediately leave the room because <laughs> my concern. Like I had, I went skiing with some friends that are um, European. Yeah, and they would like get up in the middle of the night to watch soccer and be on in the morning. And I'm like, we really have to have that on. Can you just put mute? <laughs> okay, well, you went skiing then, so there's another sport. You're well, that's true. I mean, yeah, it's a solitary thing. All right, man. And thanks a lot. Have a uh, have a safe trip. Great luck with the fun. It's going to be uh, fun to watch. All right. Take care. Enjoy it. Thanks for listening to The Look Back. We do appreciate your support. Welcome any feedback and would love it if you would subscribe to this podcast and even consider sharing it with some of your friends. For more information and other cool info, check us out at newmanmediastudios.com.